Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, and this week we are looking at the disappearance of Michaela Bali when she was 16 years old. If you don't already, follow me on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod, on Twitter at Great Unsolved, on Facebook, you can search Great Unsolved, and you will find a Facebook group and a Facebook page. I am also doing YouTube videos now, which is under Alexis Ruberg or at Alexis True Crime. You can also find at Alexis True Crime on TikTok and Instagram, where I have a lot of shorts and three-minute videos going over cases. Without further ado, let's get into the case of Michaela Bali. All right, today we're going to go over the case of missing 16-year-old, or she was 16 at the time she went missing, Michaela Bali. She is a white female with naturally red hair, but at the time of her disappearance, she had it dyed blonde. It was said she often dyed her hair different colors, so it could really be any number of colors if she is still alive today, but when she went missing, it was blonde. She is five foot two inches. She was 16 at the time, but generally... Women don't grow as long as men, so she is most likely still around five foot two today. And she weighed 115 pounds. She disappeared on April 12th of 2016 from Yorktown, Saskatchewan, Canada. When she disappeared, she was wearing her hair down, a three-fourths sleeve purple coat, burgundy coat, a teal infinity scarf, and jeans. We have a pretty good timeline on this case. There is a lot of surveillance footage and texts that kind of track her timeline until her disappearance. But when she does disappear, she basically disappears into thin air. Michaela was born on July 2nd of 1999, so she would be 23 right now. She was born with the last name Nybergal, but... She changed her last name just about seven months before her disappearance. I'm unsure if this was due to her father not being around, her father not being in her life, or some other thing. There's really not a ton of information on the reason why she changed her last name. She lived with her mother, her aunt, her grandma, and her two siblings at the time of her disappearance, once again in Yorktown, Saskatchewan, Canada. I believe I'm pronouncing that night right, but I might be completely wrong. She was said to be really shy and quiet, but very caring. The people she did talk to and spent her time with really loved her, and it was clear she really loved them as well. Her mother did later state that she was bullied for acne sometimes. She was 16. 
you have acne in high school. She was bullied for it sometimes, but her mother felt it never got terrible. Like, it never got to the extent where it was really hurting Michaela's life and well-being. Her mother also says that Michaela was not a high-risk teen. And high-risk teen is something we can kind of define however we want, but her mother defined it as her not being a teen who kind of just goes missing sometimes, would run away, would go live with somebody else that her mother had never met, that kind of thing. She wasn't into drugs, as far as we know, or alcohol. So that's kind of what her mother meant when she says Michaela was not a high-risk teen. So at the beginning of the timeline, this is something I feel I have to mention, even though it's not directly related to the day of her disappearance. In March of 2016, a month before Michaela disappeared, her grandfather did die, and I believe she was at least somewhat close to her grandfather because it is speculation in the case that this could have caused her to be grief-stricken or just want to get away after it happened. Also, sometime before her disappearance, she had told multiple friends about multiple places that she would soon be visiting. So it kind of seemed like she was planning a trip, but maybe not with her family, And maybe the friends didn't think that much of it. You know, they were 16. Soon enough, they would be 18. Maybe they thought, oh, she's talking about, like, when she goes off to college or when she's an adult, she'll go visit these places. But it is worth mentioning that she told her friends that a few weeks to a few months before her disappearance. So the day of the disappearance was April 12th of 2016. Michaela woke up. At a normal time that morning, she had to be to school around 8, 8.30 a.m. And we know that at 6.41 a.m., she texted one of her friends asking for a ride to the local TD bank because Michaela wanted to pull money out of her account. Supposedly, she had asked the same friend or some other friends the day before about bringing her to the bank also. And it's found out later that she had extensive communication with this bank in the days leading up to her disappearance. Around the same time, it's believed in the week, two weeks before her disappearance, she had texted multiple friends that she wasn't happy and she needed help, but there wasn't a lot of information on this, so I'm assuming nobody thought it was that dire of a situation at the time. However, the friend Michaela had texted at 6.41 a.m. on April 12th of 2016, said no, she wasn't going to bring her to the bank. It wouldn't even be open at this time, so it just wasn't plausible. The rest of this timeline, until I say, like, not anymore, if that makes sense, that wasn't the right wording, rest of this timeline is substantiated by surveillance, CCTV, and various things like that around the city. So, Michaela's grandma drove her to school at around 8 a.m.-ish, and this was normally what happened. Her grandma would bring her to school, and then later she would pick her up from school. We know that at 8.20 a.m., Michaela arrived to Sacred Heart High School in Yorktown, Saskatchewan, Canada. About a minute later, cameras inside the school show her putting a binder in her locker and then leaving. We know between 8.25 to 8.30 a.m., Michaela completely left the high school. It seems she got there, put her binder away, and then left for an unknown reason. 
She is seen on other surveillance footage walking southeast on the railroad tracks. This was from about 8.30 a.m. to 8.40 a.m. where she is seen walking along these railroad tracks that I'm assuming were very close to the school. Between 8.40 a.m. and 8.50 a.m., I'm giving a range for most of these times because if you look at different articles, different posts online, they all kind of say a little bit different, but they're generally within like two to five minutes of each other. So between 8.40 and 8.50 a.m., Michaela goes into Terry's Pawn and Bargain and tries to sell a silver ring. She tries to pawn it, but the person working, Terry or a worker, whoever, said no. It wasn't worth much, so they didn't want to buy it, and Michaela subsequently leaves. Between 8.50 and 8.55 a.m., Michaela is seen on surveillance at the local TD bank that she had been asking to be brought to in the days prior and earlier that morning. It's said that this address is 63 East Broadway Street, which I say a few different streets and directions she's walking in this case because that is what I was able to find and that is the most detailed timeline. But... Obviously, I don't live there. I don't know exactly where these buildings are. It's said that on the surveillance footage of Michaela inside the TD bank, she is on her phone and she quickly hangs up when the teller comes to the window or the little booth area at banks. And Michaela withdraws $55. Then she leaves. Between 8.55 and 9 a.m., Michaela is seen walking east on Broadway Street after leaving the TD Bank. Between 9.10 and 9.15 a.m., Michaela is seen entering a Tim Hortons restaurant at 160 East Broadway Street. She buys a drink and she sits at a table. It's kind of said she was looking at the doors and windows nervously, like she was kind of checking for someone or making sure someone wasn't there. At this time, it is said she takes apart her phone and puts it back together. Not sure if this just means taking off the back, taking the battery out, or something more extensive. But it was 2016. Maybe she had an Android that wasn't working as well as it should have been, so she took the battery out, put it back in. That's what I believe it means, but once again, not a ton of details on the exact pieces of the surveillance footage. It's also worth noting that at this time, Michaela had a backpack. She was not seen leaving the school with a backpack. She wasn't even seen going to her school with a backpack. So this mysterious backpack kind of just showed up and no one is sure where it came from or what it contained. At 9.23 a.m., Michaela leaves the restaurant and then comes right back in and exits out the other exit. There was only two exits in this Tim Hortons, so she went out one, came right back in, and then went out the other one. Around 9.30ish, she is seen walking north on 8th Ave. She then walks west on the 100-200 block of East Broadway Street, where she had been before. She then walks north on 6th Ave and walks east on the same 100-200 block of Broadway Street. And here she enters into a Superstore parking lot. I believe Superstore is a chain because it was capitalized in the research. So I'm assuming it's a chain store rather than just like 
you call Walmart a superstore or something like that. So she basically took a big circle. She went down one street, cross one street, down another street, cross the same street. And so she was back at the Tim Hortons. At 9.49 a.m., she re-enters the Tim Hortons, and she sits at a different table or a booth than she had before. Once again, she is sitting so that she can see windows, doors, that kind of thing. And it said she's on the phone at this point, but with an unknown person. Police would later speculate that her conversations this day took place through social media apps, Because the phone company did not have record of these calls or texts that are with an unknown person. From 9.49ish when she enters the restaurant to 10.10, she has a long phone call. Once again, I believe this was with the unknown person. And it said she sends a lot of text messages or at least looks like she is typing and sending a lot of text messages. At 10.12 a.m., she sends a friend a text saying, quote, I need help. But then pretty soon after, she sends another text saying, quote, never mind, I figured it out. She then leaves Tim Hortons and comes right back in once again. At 10.43, she starts a conversation with an elderly woman that was also in the Tim Hortons restaurant eating area. And later, the police would catch up with this lady And she would say that Michaela asked her to help rent a hotel room and the woman declined. Michaela then sends a text or makes a call. Online it just says she was on her phone. I believe they mean she made a call at this time. And she exits the Tim Hortons restaurant for good this time. Around 1045-ish, she walks west on Broadway Street, she walks south on 7th Ave, and then she turns around and continues west on Broadway Street. Kind of seems like some of her movements while she's walking around the city are haphazard. She is kind of looping or going back or taking a turn and then going back on the same street, which maybe she just wasn't good at directions, but also it could be related to her disappearance somehow. For about an hour after this, Michaela does not appear on any surveillance cameras and there's really no record of where she is. However, later, a STC bus depot employee would say that during this time, Michaela came into the bus depot. Michaela asked this employee when the bus to Regina left, and when she learned that it was going to leave after 5 p.m., she left the bus depot. At 11.35 a.m., she sent a text to her friend saying, quote, I'll see you at lunch. Between 11.59 and 12 p.m., Michaela enters Sacred Heart High School once again. She ends up going straight to the lunchroom, and she meets two of her friends, and she tells them about her plan to get on this bus to Regina. But just a few minutes later, between 12.02 and 12.03, Michaela leaves the school, and this is the last time her friends saw her. At this time, she goes into the STC bus depot once again and goes to their little food area, restaurant area called Trail Stop. Here, she orders a meal, sits down, and eats. Between 1 and 1.45 p.m., I'm not sure why it's such a big range, but between that time, she leaves the STC bus depot And this is the end of the confirmed timeline we have of Michaela 
the day she disappeared. There are seemingly no sightings of Michaela that day after she left the bus depot. However, it is stated that when she left, a man left with her. On surveillance, this man is seen leaving the Trail Stop restaurant about the same time as Michaela. Or some sources even say with Michaela. Apparently, he was questioned by police and cleared, but it's worth noting. Police were able to confirm that Michaela did not get on any buses this day. She didn't buy a ticket. She didn't get on a bus. So we don't know what happened to her after she left the STC bus depot in between 1 and 1.45 p.m. When her grandma went to her high school to pick her up later that day and Michaela didn't come out, they were immediately worried. And her grandma found out Michaela had not been at school at all that day. I don't know how the public school system works in Canada, but I know in 2016 in the U.S., if you missed one period of school, your family would get a call like right after that period. Sometimes I would accidentally get marked absent, even though I was sitting in class, and my family would get a call saying Alexis Ruberg was absent for fourth period or whatever, and it would happen within an hour after, which I think is a great system because we look at this, we look at the Chiron Horman case. There's other cases where parents don't find out their child is missing until seven or eight hours later because they were supposed to be at school. So the parents are not looking for them. After realizing she was missing, Michaela's mother and grandmother began searching for her for hours. But after they couldn't find any trace of her, they did report her missing on April 12th, the same day that she went missing. On April 13th of 2016 at 6.51 a.m., Michaela's phone is turned off or dies and it's never turned back on. On April 14th of 2016, RCMP, which is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, asks the public for help in finding Michaela. They are hoping to get tips. They are hoping to get any sightings. Maybe somebody even like knows exactly where she is. I believe they did get tips, but obviously nothing was really substantiated. Three weeks later, this case was handed over to the general investigators section, which is the section of the police that investigates major cases. So I would assume murders, missing persons, missing children, that kind of thing. On July 21st of 2016, a child search alert, which I believe is kind of like an Amber Alert, was issued for Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba in the Michaela Bali case. On April 12th of 2017, just a year after she disappeared, her case was put into the RCMP Historical Case Unit. To me, that seems kind of quick, Whereas in the U.S., we wouldn't name something as a cold case for many years, especially if there was still tips and sightings coming in. But I don't believe the historical case unit is the same as a cold case. Just seems quick to call it a historical case when it's only been a year. In 2019, the camera footage that was used to trace Michaela's steps starts to be released. Between 2016 and 2020, most of the articles I read were just up until 2020, there are tons of sightings of Michaela, but nothing is confirmed and nothing is found in her case. The reward is at $100,000 in this case, 
So if you have any information, please contact the RCMP Historical Case Unit about the Michaela Bali case at 306-786-2400. There are basically two theories here. One, which she ran away, and this is a main theory because there's really no substantial evidence of foul play. There are texts and testimonies from friends that show Michaela's movements and choices on this day were pretty intentional. She told her friends she was going to take this bus. She said she was going to be traveling places. She knowingly skipped school, that kind of thing. One of her friends said this, quote, I know it was her decision, but I am still kicking myself over it, end quote. However, her mother disagrees with this. She says Michaela is not the type of teen who would have ran away, and all of her money was left at home. Michaela kept some money at home, and according to her mother, it's all there. If you were running away, you would most likely take as much money as you can because otherwise you are going to start struggling and probably end up back at home very quickly. The other main theory is that there was an online predator that kidnapped her or murdered her. Michaela had a large online presence that spanned across multiple social media platforms and she seemed to use multiple aliases on some of these social media platforms. She had posted that she was looking for friends, so maybe she started talking to people she didn't know that well, and one of them wanted to meet. The RCMP tried to get as much of her social media, internet history as they could, but privacy laws prevented quite a bit of it, which obviously is not aiding in the case at all. For police, the messaging app named Kik, K-I-K, is the main point of interest in this case, if her case is linked to meeting someone online. And we know she was on her phone a lot, but the phone company doesn't have record of this, which most likely means it was talking, calling, texting through social media that day, which could really support this theory. And it's just very unfortunate the police haven't been able to get all of that information. The theory here is that she met somebody and ended up being taken against her will, even if initially she was planning to go with them. She could have been killed, kidnapped, put into sex work. There's any number of theories with this. But because she hasn't contacted her family, and because there have been no confirmed sightings of her since her disappearance, it's most likely that it was not just a runaway case, but something that includes foul play. So thank you for going over the case of Michaela Bali with me. Once again, contact the police if you have any information in this case. And it's not that old of a case. It is almost seven years old, but there's cases that have gone on much longer and still been solved. There's cases that have gone on much longer and the person who went missing was still alive. So hopefully her family can either get justice or they can bring Michaela home alive soon. Thank you for going over the case of Michaela Bali with me. Hopefully there is justice for her family soon, or they even find her alive. If you don't already, follow me on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod, on Twitter at Great Unsolved. You can search Great Unsolved on Facebook and find a Facebook group and a Facebook page. You can look for at Alexis True Crime on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, and there are a lot of short videos and all of these podcasts are now video podcasts as well. 
So if you prefer to watch a video of the case, you can head over to my YouTube. Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando Resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited.